Episode 6, Dane and Nick Podcast. Howdy doody. What a doody. Yeah, you're back, baby. You're back, baby. Wow. What an amazing week of Pac-12 football. It, there were upsets. There were close games. There were rivalry matchups. We truly had it all. We truly had it all. It was a freaking fun Saturday. You want me to emphasize that? Because I will. It was a freaking fun Saturday. Thanks for tuning in. Love y'all listeners, viewers, whatever you do for a podcast. Plug in your headphones. I don't know, man. We, we've been through this. We've been through this. Let's just hop into the games. Dane's with me as always, the man with the plan and the facts. And here I go. So obviously the most notable matchup of the week is going to be Oregon versus ASU. Uh, we're going to dive into a little bit of more uh, details about the game later. Um, the main takeaway here is that Oregon lost. I mean, ASU came to play. They're ready. Um, Oregon's officially eliminated from the college football playoff. Um, but they still have the Pac-12 title uh, on the line. Or on the line. I don't know what that means. They still can win the Pac-12 title. And for ASU, this is a very big program-defining uh, victory in a way to break a four-game lose streak and gain some huge confidence. Man, I was trying to beat the heater in my house, but it turned back on. We may have a little background stack noise. Get that eerie, cool feeling going, you know? But, so yeah... Another notable game this week, you had um, Washington versus Colorado. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how the Huskies lost, but <laughs> they did. Something's clearly not going right in Montlake and Seattle. And they're going to have to figure that out going forward. They're going to have to figure out next week. They face the Cougs in the Apple Cup. For Colorado, this is a big win for Mel Tucker. They still have an outside shot to make uh, – to, what am I trying to say here? Come on, viewers, you should, you should be able to read my mind by now. Uh, they If they can beat rival Utah in their final week, they have a chance to grab some bull eligibility, so good for them. Uh, big win for their program. That's a huge win. They've now beaten Nebraska and UW this year, so Mel Tucker's got the buffs in the right direction. Uh, probably the funnest game of the week was Oregon State versus WSU, and if you didn't watch this, again, we'll, we'll dive into a little bit deeper details later. There's just a lot going on. I'm trying to get through this opening segment, guys. Come on now, man. Come on now. But, yeah, no, it came down to the final play of the game. The Cougs um, had the 4-2 great call by head coach Mike Leach to run the ball uh, uh, with Max Borgie, and that ended up being the game-winning touchdown. But a back-and-forth affair. I mean, it was like 54-53, 55-54, a true shootout, two blast. Um, two, yeah, two blasts of a game. You also had Stanford versus Cal, another rivalry games. You know rivalry games are coming down to the end, and that's exactly what happened. Um, unfortunately for Stanford, they cannot stop Cal with under two minutes left, and they could also not score with under two minutes left. And guess what happens when you do those things in a close game? Well, you lose. But um, in all seriousness, Stanford has nothing to hang their hats on. They've done the best they can this year. They've been really injured, and uh, they've been played solid, man. You can't, you can't blame them. Their program still grabs some nice victories this year, but... Obviously, you're going to want to beat your rival. For Cal, they're now bowl eligible. Uh, they got quarterback, starting quarterback Chase Garbers back after suffering his second injury in the previous week. So for Cal to come out and make these big plays, I believe it was the first time they beat um, the Stanford in nine years. So a huge win for their program. Uh, and as we continue going through the list here, I told you there's a fun <laughs> slate of games here. So um, we also had a USC versus UCLA, the Battle of L.A., can someone seriously, one of you viewers, call in or text in or leave me a comment or voicemail, hit me up on email, whatever. What is this rivalry game called? Is it the Battle of L.A.? I really don't know. It's kind of like, 
It's not really bothering me, but I would like an answer to this question. I've looked it up on Google, and I can't find it, man. Come on, Googs. Step your game up. Um, sorry if you're one of our advertisers, Google. I'm just kidding. You're the best. We love you. Google for life, baby. But no, um, so in this game, uh, uh, USC's quarterback, Keaton Slovis, really played phenomenal, set the all-time USC passing record for quarterback yards in a game. I believe he threw for, this is over 500. It may have been like 515. A phenomenal performance from the offense all around. They jumped out to an early lead and were able to hold on to the end. And uh, USC now was, was able to grab their eighth win of the year. So, solid performance. Um, I believe it's their eighth win. Don't quote me on that. 90% sure. So, big win for them. For UCLA, um, they've kind of faltered after their midseason burst out of nowhere. But uh, Chip Kelly does have that program going the right direction. Obviously, you're going to want to be a rival. But they kept fighting. They played tough for their head coach. Just weren't able to get it done. So, Big win for SC. They still, oddly enough, have a chance to qualify for the Pac-12 championship and win the Rose Bowl if uh, Utah slips up next week to Colorado. And wow, that was not a planned transition. Look at that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Utah actually, um, what did, who did Utah play? They played the Wildcats. That's right, I forgot because the Wildcats didn't show up. Utah just ran them pretty much. It was, was kind of sleepy Utah-like first half. Jumped out to a 14-0 lead. But um, in the beginning of the third quarter, they piled on two quick touchdowns to go up 28-0, and there was no looking back from there. I think they won like 34-7. I'm making up the final score. That may be right. That may be wrong. But at one point, they were up 28-0. So with Utah's defense, that's good as done. I believe that's all the games in the Pac-12 this week. That was a mouthful for an introduction, man. That was a lot of spit out. This is longer than usual. Dane, man, I'm cutting in your time. Do your thing, Dane. Great week of Pac-12 football. We're here to jump in deeper, analyze what's going on. College football playoff right around the corner. Bowl season right around the corner. Thanksgiving right around the corner. Christmas, Black Friday, whatever it is. Just a good time of year. Spend some time with your family. Have fun. Do your thing. Dane, get us started. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no problem, Nick. Um, yeah, I mean, the biggest story, obviously, was uh, Oregon losing to Arizona State. And the effect that's going to have on Utah's chances of making the college football playoff. Because if you've listened to this podcast before, I said that the winner of the Pac-12 championship was going to make the college football playoff. And that was based on the assumption that Oregon and Utah went out, as well as the assumption that that game was not close. Um, And now it's really gotten muddied. And I was, I've been thinking about this for the last 48 hours about whether or not Utah can still get in. And I've come to the conclusion that the answer is yes, they can still make the college football playoff. But now they have to win uh, by a significant margin in the championship game. Before, I thought if Utah won by maybe 10 or 14, they would get in. Now I think Utah needs to win by 17 or more. You know, if they win by three touchdowns, they're in. That's going to be tough because Oregon's defense is good, though their offense is frankly not. But, um, yeah, so that's really the biggest story, um, and that's, I think, all that really matters moving forward. And, yeah, I mean, there were some good games, um, what with Wazoo winning in the last, whatever it was, second of the game, which is really good for the, the Cougs, and I totally believe that they're going to win the Apple Cup 
especially with Washington losing at Colorado, which is very questionable. And then, of course, um, UCLA and USC was a great game, really high scoring, uh, very exciting to watch. It was uh, definitely a good uh, rivalry matchup. For some reason, I thought it was going to be more low, low scoring. Low, low scoring? Man, I can't talk. And uh, a battle on the defensive side of the ball. But it was great. I mean, DTR was playing pretty good, and Slovis was playing um, really well in that air raid. And, um, yeah, I've actually heard our local media here in Tucson was saying that the Urban Meyer to USC has kind of been shut down. I don't know if that's true or not, but <sighs> I don't know what the, what the situation is going to be there now that they've basically crushed their rival and what do they have, eight wins now? So, yeah, I mean, we'll see, I guess. You can look at the flip side of it and say, well, they had a lot of injuries this year. They still got eight wins. You know, they're on, what is it, their third or second string quarterback and all the other injuries that they sustained, and yet they're still right there and, you know, battling for first place in the South. Um, Their recruiting class is awful, but that's because the head coach situation is not clear. So they need to make a decision here pretty quick. This early signing day is, I think, December 15th. And if they have several key targets in mind, five stars, high four stars, uh, the AD needs to make a, an announcement here soon that he, either his contract is being extended or um, I guess he's not going to be bought up. They need to make a public statement supporting or firing him because their their uh, recruiting class is awful. And there's I'm sure there's plenty of five and four stars that are waiting to see what will happen. And one way or another those dominoes are going to fall and the longer they wait the worse it's going to be so uh for me you know the other teams you know okay they played games and some got bowl eligible but the obviously the biggest story is uh usc uh utah and oregon and usc it's because of you know their notoriety or i guess their um their history and uh prestige but um, really the big story is uh, Oregon losing and how that affects the college football playoff. All right, Dane, thanks for your opening thoughts. So I was feeling a little low on energy, but you know what I had to do? I had to go kind of eat a raw onion. Not full, just little slices here and there. At my day job, they call me Onion Nick. I may even brush my teeth after I eat it. It kind of just depends on the day. Test it out. Substitute for caffeine. Health and life advice from Nick right there. Boom. All right. So as much as you love my life advice, I know that's why you may tune in. Let's just be honest. Um, We do have some Pac-12 football to discuss and a really big uh, outcome. We had the Oregon versus Arizona State game. And so I I covered both these teams throughout the year um, for sports Pac-12 as well. I do some writing. And so... There's some uh, big points I'd like to reiterate that I think, um, actually, I truly feel that it played into Oregon's loss. First and foremost, this team should have been running the ball all year. Um, It's very cool, you know, you have Justin Herbert throwing the rock around. He's a stud. He's an absolute monster. He's probably not going to win the Heisman after the results last week. Um, He's definitely going to be a top 10 draft pick. But you don't need to do that with the offensive line that Oregon has. And... Even though they ran the ball effectively against Arizona State, 
Um, they had, you know, the three different backs touched the ball a good, uh, a good amount of time. C.J. Verdell, um, Cyrus Habibi Likio, and um, maybe Travis Dye is the last one. I'm blanking on the last guy's name. So they all touched the ball a decent amount, but this is this goes down to bigger. This is throughout the whole season. This should have been their identity. Just force the ball. Just let Herbert throw it when you need to. I mean, Oregon doesn't really have that deep threat. Sure, Johnny Johnson the third is a solid player, but he's not like the like elite wideout. He's not a LaVisca Schnault Jr. for Colorado. He's not a Michael Pittman Jr. for USC or, or seven other good receivers that USC has. And so I think this ultimately was going to snake bite them at some point, and it did down the desert. Um, Justin Herbert threw uh, two interceptions on back-to-back possessions that ultimately ended up costing them the game. Uh, they made a, route, a furious comeback after trailing 24-7, to but just ended up falling short. So if you're tuning into this podcast i'm taking a wild guess that you watched the oregon arizona state game so i'm not gonna like dive in too deep on the details of the game but i'll give you a quick 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 summary but the main takeaway oregon should have been running the ball all year all freaking year that's all they had to do man that's all they had to do and it finally hurt them this game so anyway quick recap is uh arizona state actually dominated for like three quarters which is shocking they're up 24 to 7 and then um Oregon just made a furious comeback, scored like two touchdowns in two minutes to make it like 21-24. The, the numbers might be slightly off, but they're trailing by three points. And um, so Arizona State was in a third and 16. Oregon could have stopped them and gotten the ball back down three with like three, four minutes left. Full chance to win the game. And uh, ASU quarterback Jaden Daniel- <coughs> Daniels connected on a, I believe it was an 82-yard touchdown strike to wide out Brandon Ayuk. And that was it. It was enough to seal the victory for ASU and uh, grab the biggest win of the Herm Edwards era and ultimately turn around their season and make them bowl eligible. Bunch of good things happened for ASU there in prime time. That, that's for darn sure. But so, again with Oregon, my concern was that they did not run the ball behind their offense line all year. And that's it. I mean, they're not going to make the college football playoff anymore. And now, I think as a Pac-12 fan, you got to cheer for Utah. Um, Oregon's a great school. They've done some great things. They've represented the conference well this year. Nothing to take away from them. But now you got to cheer for your one outside shot to make the college football playoff, and that's Utah. So Oregon, you had a heck of a run. Great job. Would have I done some things differently? Definitely focus more on a run game. Yes, I would have if I was head coach. But that's not to take away from what was it, a nine-game win streak, beating pretty much everyone in the conference easily. Um, and still, again, can win the conference and be Rose Bowl champions. So the Ducks have a lot to look forward to. They're not going to be national champions this year, but they still did some great things. Um, again, just why don't we run the darn football if you got a good offensive line there, buddy? Come on, Mario Cristobal, you know. All right. And so for ASU, on the other hand, these kids didn't quit. Plain and simple. You can go into game plan, analytics, how they went up 24-7. Would that happen again? Probably not. So to dive too deep into that is absolutely ridiculous. But what is facts is that ASU entered this game on a four-game win streak or a four-game losing streak. They um they hadn't held a lead in a game in the month of November. So wh- why should they believe? I mean, they were gonna lose, right? They were gonna lose. No, they weren't. They came out and fired. Oh, fired? Oh, what does that mean? No, but they came out of the gate swinging, punching, however you want to term it, and they jumped out, got that early lead, and even though they almost fold in the end, when you give yourself enough of a cushion, they made that one play to pull it out. Um, to kind of summarize them, I'm definitely stealing this from the Nalzatron TV, but I thought it was a valuable point. Um, ASU kind of played like their star running back in O. Benjamin. He just, he didn't necessarily have 
like great numbers. I think it was like he had like 20, 20 to thirty carries for like ninety yards at some at one point in the game. I'm not sure exactly where it ended up, but what he did, he was tough. He grinded. He fought for every yard, and that's how ASU played this game, and that's what eventually led to their win. And what a good, captivating sixth one of the year. It was a thrill to watch coming down to the end. I mean, I I have no affiliation with either one of these schools, and when Jaden Daniels hit um Brandon Ayuk. On the is it Ayuk or Ayuk? I know it's spelled A I Y U K. Ayuk. Sorry, I'm not trying to make fun of your name, dude. Just got you know me. Got a little tangent there. But when he hit on that 82 yard strike um, to Ayuk, it was the game changer, man. And it really got like I mean, it got me out of my seat. I yelled, man. I texted my cousin and went to ASU, so I guess I do have affiliation with the school. Me, not personally, but it was. I was like, wow, man! Like, what a performance! What a play by a true freshman quarterback. And so, I don't want to kind of dive make the segment any longer than it needs to. But for Arizona State, they're now bowl eligible. They have the Territorial Cup against Arizona next week, their rival, and they can finish this year with seven wins after a hot start, slow middle. And so they can end strong, um, get themselves a bold win in a potential eight-win season. So great upset, upset of the year in the Pac-12, great coaching job, and good work all around. And so for Oregon, again, quick little summary, Oregon needs to just finish strong. They cannot overlook the Beavers. They seriously, they cannot overlook the Beavers. That will really hurt them, and they need to win the Civil War and maybe um, and then take down Utah in the Pac-12 uh, championship assuming Utah gets there. So Oregon still has a lot to play for. Obviously not the college uh, playoff berth, um, but they have done some great things this year, and that needs to be recognized. And for ASU, um, wow, what a win. A program-defining win. The recruits are going to see that. Um, football is now uh, big. I mean, in Tempe, you win a game like that, all of a sudden you turn some heads. And with the struggle that the Wildcats have had this season, it'll just make recruiting all the much easier. All the much easier. How do you... How do you phrase that? All the much easier? It'll make it easier for the recruit in the state of Arizona. So huge for ASU. And let's see what they can do in the Territorial Cup next week. Dane, what are your thoughts, kid? Yeah, so really I'm not shocked at this result. I'm surprised, but I'm not shocked. And if you remember last week I talked about um, I put Utah in front of Oregon for the first time all year. And how I talked about how I was on the Oregon train, and I finally jumped off of it last week. And if you look at my power ranking, I had Utah above Oregon. And the reason for that was their performance against Arizona in Eugene. And that was really eye-opening to the quality that Oregon has, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. And... So that's why I'm not shocked. If you can only score 34 on Arizona, then, well, you're probably not going to beat Arizona State. And that's just facts. So I am surprised, though, if this game was in Eugene, it'd be a different result. Um, The real, I think, story here is Oregon's defense and how they played, and they allowed Oregon... I mean, uh, they allowed ASU to score, what, 31 points? Um, Yeah, 31 points. So that's not good. Um, Has Utah ever let up that many this year? I mean, so, yeah, it's just uh, it's a really disappointing result uh, for Oregon. And it's bad for the Pac-12 because... You're basically a shoe in to the college football playoff with 
uh, well, not basically a shoe in but you had a probably more than a 50% chance of getting into the playoff with Oregon and Utah meeting in the championship game uh, if they had enough, you know, if they didn't lose this game. And so now it's just uh, we're kind of floundering around here and we don't really know what's going to happen. We're far more reliant on things happening in the SEC and um, a little bit, I guess, somewhat in the Big 12, certainly in the Big 10, I guess. You want Ohio State to win out, you want LSU to win out, and you need Alabama and Georgia to lose in the SEC. And if that happens, then okay, Utah, if they beat Oregon comfortably, then they're probably in. But, I mean, it's just it's really disappointing what happened to Oregon, and I don't know what's going on. Um, like Nick said, Herbert's a great quarterback, and yeah, they probably should run the ball more with their offensive line. Um, but you got to figure out how to beat Arizona State. I mean, this team was on a four or five game losing streak. I mean, they lost to UCLA and, you know, a handful of other teams that you really should not have lost this game. And it's a really a poor, poor performance. Um,. Oregon State beat Arizona State. Like, how did this happen? And this, I mean, people were saying Oregon was going to, you know, they could make the playoffs. They were higher, ranked higher than Utah, and they have more um, sway in the East Coast media than Utah. So they were considered the Pac-12 favorite, and a lot of people were talking about them being able to make the playoffs. And because of this, they're obviously out. And it's just really disappointing. I'm I don't even I'm not a fan of Oregon. I don't dislike Oregon. Um, I like their program. I mean, they have a, a good program. They recruit well, and they tend to perform. Uh, you know, about to their recruiting levels. I mean, they're always one of the best teams in the conference. And um, I guess they've been in a bit of a rebuild the last few years since the coaching changes happened. And I guess you could make the argument that, you know, I mean, they've, right, that they've been in a rebuild, but I don't really look at them that way. I, I still think of them uh, the same quality as they had in the Chip Kelly era, and then with Marcus Mariota, you know, and then with um, whoever was their coach that got them, Helford, was it Helford? I don't know. That got them to another national championship game, right, in like 2015. Um, they definitely have made the playoffs, and they made a championship game, and they lost, right? So, um, yeah, that's just uh, it's a really it's a it's it's terrible. It, there's no way around it. Um, you know, great for ASU, and like Nick said, it'll help their in-state recruiting. Um, though Arizona doesn't pose any type of challenge to them. You're really if you're trying to recruit Arizona, you're competing with USC, Oregon. Uh, schools from the SEC like Texas A&M, um, things like that. You're not really competing with Arizona. So um, in that respect, it'll certainly help. But, um, I mean, you're still uh, in a in a build-up phase um, for Herm Edwards. So we'll see how it goes for them. I'm assuming they're going to absolutely crush Arizona. So, um, yeah, they're going to end the year with seven wins and then uh, with the name brand like that, you could probably almost swing an Alamo Bowl invite. I think the probably the very worst bowl you're gonna get is the Holiday Bowl, um, 
And I guess some of that depends on if the Pac-12 makes the college football playoff, how that goes down. But, uh, yeah, I mean, great win for ASU. Uh, Jaden Daniels uh, is, you know, fantastic quarterback, and he's only a true freshman, so he's going to get better and better. And we'll see how, what they can do in the South next year. Uh, they started off really strong and then fizzled, but um, this was a big win for them. And um, but yeah, really, it was a poor result for the conference. This is not what we wanted or what we needed. All right, and so now the new and last hope for the college football playoff in the Pac-12 is Utah, and this week they handled their business. They played Arizona. Um, they jumped out to a 14-0 lead in the second quarter, tacked on two touchdowns to go up 28-0, uh, and from there on they were obviously in control behind their stellar defense. Some key takeaways, Tyler Huntley uh, did not have his like an amazing statistical game, but he does what he always does. He wins games, he makes the right plays, and I'm not sure about his um, frame and athleticism in terms of the NFL but he is the mindset of, of an NFL quarterback. His ability to manage the game, um, complete big plays on third down, and just get the ball to your other star players and Zach Moss. He's truly, he's a great leader, man. And it'd be cool to see him get a shot at the next level or some level of professional football. Some people think of game managers as some sort of insult. No, the best quarterbacks of all time are game managers. Tom Brady is a game manager. He doesn't have a rocking arm. All right, that's the end of my tangent. I'll get back to the game. You know me. I, li- I like to say what I got to say. But seriously, Tyler Huntley, um, cool, calm, and collected. I believe he's 19 for 23, um, around 200 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. So, again, you look at the stats that don't blow you away. His team won comfortably, and everyone scored some touchdowns. So, he did his job. Zach Moss, another great game, <laughs> amazing game. He rushed for um, over 200 yards on the day. And... Uh, Really, I mean, this is what you expect out of a back this caliber. If we're talking NFL, he is an NFL running back. His size, his determination, his hard-nosed running style, he's just a fun watch. And it's been fun to watch him in the Pac-12. Yeah, I'm going to say fun watch and fun to watch him. Look at that creative mindset right there. But now he's a, he's a stud, man. And uh, he did his thing. Arizona's defense obviously isn't amazing, but he did his thing. What can He got 200 yards. Do I need to say more? Um their other kind of notable player on the day was tight end Brant Keithy, and that is Brant Keithy. He had uh, around I think it's like 84, 85 yards receiving and uh, two touchdowns on the ground, oddly enough, from a tight end. They ran like kind of like end of rounds. You can call it a fly sweep. You can call it whatever you want, but they ran that sort of run scheme, and he got in the end zone twice for actually really good coaching um, to – because the t- um, excuse me, the Wildcats were cheating on Zach Moss up the middle. I'm taking a wild guess. So Keith was able to get around the edge there, punched it in a couple times. Cool way to get some other players involved, and that's that's just really good coaching all around. So for Utah, um, you know we can sit here and talk about all this and all that. Bottom line is they are now the Pac-12's only chance to make the college football playoff. Is it an outside shot? Yes, but is it a shot? Yes. So as a Pac-12 fan, I believe it's time we start cheering for them. And from a personal standpoint, you may disagree with me how the game is played. There is no right way. But how I feel football should be played, they do it right. Are they the most athletic team? No. Are they all five-star recruits? No. But they play hard-nosed defense. They run the ball. They throw the ball when necessary. (coughs) Catching the hint organ. (coughs) Yeah, but, I mean, they throw the ball when necessary, just enough to keep the defense off balance. And their style of football 
granted, I think they're going to get smacked by like SEC team or ACT team like um, ACT, uh, ACC team like Clemson or even Ohio State or Alabama, just you know an elite team like that. Um, the way they play the game is right and it's beautiful to watch. And yeah, let's just cheer for them going forward. They face a rival Colorado next week, and that's how they're going to round out their regular season campaign. Um, if assuming they win, because you know anything can happen in a rivalry game, they're going to be slated to play Oregon in the, in the Pac-12 championship, and that should be a fun watch. No guarantee they're going to win that, but if they do and get a little bit of help from around the NCAA, they could make it. So Utah still taking care of business. Another easy win, cruise to victory. And so for Arizona today, I'm actually going to stay away from Arizona. Um, I don't believe there's anything I could tell you that Dane couldn't tell you. The man knows what he's talking about when it comes to Wildcats football. For me, it's just going to be the same thing as they need to figure out something. And that's what I'm saying. I got nothing to say about the Wildcats. Let Dane tell you. I'm trying to front on nothing. Hey, listen to the man, Dane. So, again, for Utah, let's cheer for them. Great season. I feel they play football the right way. And, yeah, um, beat rival Colorado. You're in the Pac-12 championship, and anything can happen from there. Arizona, I know nothing. Absolutely nothing. You better tune into Dane, man. The Dane does the edits. You better listen to my man, Dane. He's coming at you with Wildcats knowledge. Deuces. <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, but, yeah, first all, I'll talk about Utah. So, yeah, um, Kyle Whittingham is a far superior coach than Mario Cristobal, and that's fairly obvious. Um, and also Utah is a better uh, team this year than Oregon. Uh, and in the game, it, yeah, I mean, they basically did whatever they wanted. Zach Moss pretty much dominated and... As Nick said, they had those end-around plays um, for Keithy, Kuthi, for him. And um, so, yeah, that's just um, Arizona was outcoached and outmatched. And, yeah, there's not much more you could say about that result. Um, Utah did exactly what they needed to do. Road victory, 35-7. to And really, the only reason Arizona scored was because Utah put in, it's like, at least their twos. And it was at the near the very end of the game, and Grant Canal on fourth down uh, ran like a 15-yard touchdown into the end zone. So uh, really, it was they probably could have put up they could have put up more than 50. And for some reason, they had a slow first half. The Wildcat defense played good in the first half, uh, though I remember on the very first drive of Utah. Um, they had a, they had a first play that got them like 30 yards on the ground, which is indicative of how the game was going to go. But then the Wildcats got them into a third down and got a sack. And then somebody on the defense got a personal foul penalty for like taunting or something after the unsportsmanlike conduct after the play, and that gave Utah an automatic first down. And that's basically sums up Arizona's season and all that but i'll get into arizona in a little bit um but first yeah um what this means for utah so okay um you can still make the playoff there's certainly that possibility uh you're gonna have to crush colorado and then you're gonna have to beat oregon comfortably i'm thinking more than two touchdowns and more than 17 and if you are able to beat oregon and that's this okay this is assuming that oregon does not lose the civil war and if Oregon loses the Civil War, then Utah can't make the playoff. I'm sorry, but like, think about Utah's best win. Like, think about it. What is it? Like, 
Are you still trying to think about it? Because I was trying to figure this out earlier. What is Utah's best win? And I think it might be Washington in Seattle. And Washington just lost to Colorado. So you don't really have a good win. Have they beaten a top 25 team? Like, it's a legitimate question. I don't think they have. And that's a problem. That is a major flaw. And so that's why you wanted Oregon uh, to win out so that you had a much better um, quality victory at the end of the year. It's important. And now that went out the window. So it's going to be tough to make the playoffs it's completely still possible. And I think that they will. Uh, I think that they'll beat Oregon comfortably and they'll get in. And as Nick was saying, actually differ from him a little bit about their ability to match up against SEC teams and ACC teams. So if they got the matchup with Ohio State, it's going to be extremely difficult to win that game. They're probably going to lose going away. Um, Ohio State is by far the best team in the country. And uh, it's probably going to come down to them and LSU in the championship game, though we'll see how it goes. But if... If Utah got a matchup with LSU, they can certainly hang with them. And if they got a matchup with Clemson, it's questionable. I don't feel as comfortable with them playing Clemson as I do with them playing LSU. So if they somehow got a matchup with LSU, they can win that game. If they got a matchup with Clemson, it's tough. They might lose by 10, but... That's more of a stretch for me to view them as uh, winning that game. And if they got matched up with Ohio State, it's just, it's going to be, it's it's not going to be good. Um, so for that aspect, we'll see how it all ends up. Uh, I think they can make the playoff. Um, for Arizona, I'm going to keep it brief. There's no, there's, everybody knows what's going on here with the Wildcats six game losing streak. I am looking at the history books because I couldn't really remember when Arizona had back-to-back losing seasons. And the last time this occurred, according to my very brief review, was all the way in 2006 and 2007. So that's 13 years, 13 seasons, that Arizona has had back-to-back losing years. And that's that should let you know where where the Wildcats are at because this is uh, becoming an issue and the coaching staff is going to be put under the microscope. Um, Kevin Sumlin has fired three defensive coaches, but let's address the elephant in the room. Not talking about Sumlin himself, more talking about Noel Mazzoni. But you can kind of lump someone in with that because this offense, okay, you're down three starting linemen and one backup who started a game, but you've been completely unable to move the ball against elite-level defenses, against elite teams in the conference. You barely did anything against USC, nothing against Oregon, and barely anything against Utah. And so that's that's a problem. And what was interesting about the Rich Rodriguez era was he was able to win 
with the quality of recruiting that Arizona historically is able to pull in. That's going to be the bottom, you know, 75% of the of the conference. You're going to be at the best. Your recruiting class is going to be the ninth, maybe the eighth best in the conference. But Rich Rod was able to win with his offensive system, and he had, frankly, terrible defenses. In the one year he had a great defense, Arizona made it to the Fiesta Bowl and won the Pac-12 South. That was five years ago, so there's not. It's not that long that the Wildcats have had that success. I mean, it's in the Kevin Sumlin era. Last year he was five and seven, and this year it's looking like they're going to be four and eight. And so that's a regression. The last time that the Wildcats had a losing season and then even less victories the following year. Man, I mean, you have to go, it's again all the way back in 2006 and 2007, an 06, 6 and 06 year, and an 07, 5 and 7 year. So, I mean, guess that's not even technically a losing year, 6 and 6. So, if you want to go to like real, real, it has to be 04, 05, where they were back to back 3 and 8 years. And in 03, there's a 2 and 10 year. So I've I've pretty much everybody in Tucson has given up. There's no way around it. It's, it turned from anger to apathy. It's basketball season, and yeah, it's basketball season. So thanks, Dane, for telling me something about the Wildcats. I got to study up my game on them. But no, seriously, thank you for holding it down. I'm sure the Wildcats fan base appreciate it. And so we are going to hop into the next game here. And uh, arguably the most exciting game of the week was uh, Washington State versus Oregon State. It was like, a, as I said earlier, it was either 55-54 to 54 or 54-53. to 53. It was an absolute shootout throughout. Both teams took the lead in the fourth quarter. Both teams made plays. Both teams made mistakes. And it was all around a fun watch. This game is kind of what you want college football to be about. And especially... It's easy to, you know, when you're cheering for national championship type teams, uh, it's easy to be so tired every game. But this is one of those games where two teams were clearly fighting for their coaches. They're fighting for bowl eligibility. And it just turned into a fabulous football game. Whether it's high school, NFL, maybe not. Actually, you know what? I'm messing with Pee Wee. But high school, Pee Wee, NFL, college. If you like football, this was the game to watch. So, quick little summary here. You got Oregon State was trailing early on. They came... Or early, excuse me. I'm just going to give you the fourth quarter. This game was so wild. So Oregon State was trailing by it's either 10 points or a little bit more than that in the fourth quarter. They came all the way back to take the lead, and now they were actually up nine or ten. Uh, WSU um, scored a touchdown, putting the pressure on Oregon State, and so Oregon State was driving down the field, either up three or four points, and they faced a fourth and four situation. So they had an opportunity to punt. Uh, they were around their own 40 or 45-yard line. And so if they punted, uh, WC would have had a chance to win the game on a touchdown, with, but they would have had to drive like the length of the field. In a worst-case scenario, like a touchback, so 80 or 75 yards, whatever the rule changes these days. And so he chose to go for it, um, head coach, uh, the Beavers head coach, Jonathan Smith, and Jake Luton threw a pass. It went through one of his receiver's hands, just in and out, um, kind of a high jump ball. And the Cougs got the ball, um, drove the ball all the way down the field. And with two seconds left, or 
I, you know me in exact time, so I'm not going to like BS you like I know the exact time. Basically, this was the final play of the game. If they did not score on this play, it was over, time was up, and they had to, the Cougars had to score a touchdown, and Oregon State had to stop, and they're in a bowl game. So WSU, you know, known for their air raid passing system under Mike Leach, uh, they're going to throw it, right, in fourth and two. Uh, fourth and two, um, like, and they ran the ball, they handed it off to Max Borgie, caught the Oregon State defense off guard, punched it in as time expired, and gained themselves bowl eligibility on a sixth win of the year. What a fantastic ball game. So you got two takeaways from this. We're going to start with the Oregon State side of things. For Oregon State, I don't want to blame head coach Jonathan Smith for anything. He's done such a fabulous job turning on the program. Like, truly amazing. This team was a gutter team last year, and they were one play away from bowl eligibility. And that's what kills me right now. If you're an Oregon State fan, if you punt it, even though WSU is an amazing offense, statistically speaking, and I'm not a big statistics guy. I think everyone knows that from listening to me. But statistically speaking, he um, he cost his team in that situation. It would have been hard for WSU to get down the field with like uh, 70 seconds left in the ballgame and score a touchdown. It would have been difficult, no matter how good the offense is. Granted, their defense, Oregon State's defense wasn't stopping anyone, but still. And so... I get putting the ball into your six-year senior's hands and quarterback Jake Luton and trying to make a play, but what I just don't – this call just hurts. And, like I say, it ultimately cost them the game. But for the Beavers, they, they're they like Stanford. They cannot hang their hat, man. They've done so much. They've improved so much. Their football's fun to watch. I've loved watching Beaver games this year. And they have a chance to regroup and win the Civil War against rival Oregon and still actually qualify for a bowl. And I think – that's got to be the goal. And this actually makes Oregon State a dangerous team. They have nothing to lose. They have absolutely nothing to lose heading into this game. Granted, they're going to face the pissed-off Oregon team because they just lost. But that could work in one of two ways. Are they going to quit because they're not going to win the national championship? Or are they going to keep fighting because they want to prove themselves that they are going to be the Pac-12 champions and a potential Rose Bowl winner? So, Oregon State has nothing to lose. We'll see how Oregon responds. But... That's 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 it now. That's their Super Bowl. And if they beat Oregon and end up 6-6, six and six, I will be the first to tell you that a Beaver fan will never think about this WSU game again. If they lose, however, that decision hangs around in the offseason. It shouldn't. I hope it doesn't affect Jonathan Smith. Um, obviously, he's his own man, and whether it bothers him or not, that's, that's him, and I'm not him, so I can't answer that question. But will it be around the newspapers and in Beaver fan base? Yes, it will. That, that's just going to be a fact here. So, let's see. Next week, Super Bowl for the Oregon State Beavers. Can they knock off the Ducks or not and gain bowl eligibility? Either way, what a fantastic season by them. And for the Cougs, hey, um, this team could have folded. They've been kind of one of those weird Pac-12 teams. I mean, pretty much everything has been weird in the Pac-12 this year. They've lost some games they should have won. They've won some games they should have lost. And uh, Anthony Gordon, even though with the truly video game-like stats, we have 7,000 passing yards and 60 touchdowns at this point, he isn't like won many big games this year and this was his time and he showed it hey they could have folded Oregon State's defense could have stopped them on that final drive of the game and they didn't Anthony Gordon made big throws got multiple receivers involved and again um, I I don't want to discredit a kid because Anthony Gordon did amazing and that's not what I'm trying to do I thought truly he had a phenomenal drive and he was very solid getting down the field but what a call by the head coaching 
the cojones it took to run the ball in fourth and two, the, or whatever it was, if they don't get two yards, the game is over. They lose. And then now they're facing their rival in UW, and they don't have bowl eligibility or with bowl eligibility on the line. So you are putting your season in a running back's hand and if, in the offensive line's hand. And if Oregon State sniffs out that play, it looks terrible. But they didn't sniff it out. It worked out beautifully. And now WCU is bowl eligible. And with all the past couple seasons and the success in the Palouse, you know, Gardner Minshew, Luke Falk, um, couple other names uh this the program really could have taken a step back this is a historically bad program for lack of better terms and they could have taken a step back by not making a bowl game this year uh, say they lose and lose to rival washington end up five and seven and that hurts recruiting big time at a school like that a uh, small town type feel and so the fact that they're able to win that maintain bowl eligibility and now potentially beat washington and end up with eight wins this year uh should be fun but, yeah, great win for um, WSU and a way to find a way to get it done in the end. That's, uh, that's what games are about. A lot of games can come down to coin flips, especially when the teams are equal and they made the plays, and that's, that's it. And uh, as any WSU Cougar fan will tell you, they're glad they made a bowl game, but everything resides next week. They play Big Brother in the University of Washington. They call it the Apple Cup, and I'm from Seattle, so, you know, around these parts is a big deal. Those WSU and those UW fans, they get at it pretty tough. But um, that's going to be a fun game. Uh, UW's clearly down this year. They're not who they used to be. WSU's having a down year, but both teams are 6-5. and five. Both teams are still really this is kind of their super bowl can i throw out any more super bowl analogies get creative here nick sorry y'all i don't know what the canadian uh championships called the yeah if i say anything it's just gonna sound weird so i don't know what it's called but it's really now both teams are playing for really not too much so expect nothing to lose expect trick plays expect craziness the apple cup should be fun so i'm going overtime on my segment here let's let's give my man dane time to speak you know you know how it is this is equal show man we need the balance. We need some Dane up in here. Let us go how it is. Let it, let us go how it is. I, Yeah, I'm not even sure, but I will recap whatever I just said there. So, essentially, Oregon State has improved so much this year. Great season. Phenomenal season. I've used phenomenal eight times, but just great year. And um, But let's just see how this head coaching um, call looms in the offseason if they can beat rival Oregon win the Civil War no one will think about it ever again and they'll think of Jonathan Smith as a hero if he does end up losing whether it's fair or not this will hang around the offseason and it shouldn't be he's improved the program so much but it will that's just the way sports are for WSU what a win what a way to gain bowl eligibility protect home turf and now you get a chance to break the six-game losing streak against rival Washington the Apple Cup you kept the program afloat by gaining the bowl eligibility and uh, kept recruits' interest for a small town like Pullman. So huge win for WSU. Game of the week. Not many football games better than this. And it was a blast to watch. All right, yeah, Nick always with the uh, great takes on uh, both Wazoo and Oregon State. Not much I can add to all that. Um, but I'll just take a look at moving forward, what it means uh, you know, for the rivalry games coming up for both the programs. Um, so Wazoo, uh, I said an earlier... I think the intro, I said that I think they're going to win the Apple Cup, as Nick just mentioned, uh, six-game losing streak. And, yeah, I think they're going to win. So 
that streak will come to an end. The game, I believe, I think it is in Seattle, so that'll be a little bit tougher. But, I mean, Washington just lost to Colorado, so... Yeah, and I trust the offensive system of Wazoo like 10 times more than I would trust whatever they do over there at UW. Uh, I think it's it's basically a pro-style offense that, yeah, I mean, the run game is going to be good, but Jacob Eason tends to throw interceptions. So, um, And, yeah, so if you're Oregon State, um, this is a heartbreaker. It's really, really got to be tough for that fan base because – I mean, you were, what, two or three seconds away from being bowl eligible for the first time in however many years? So, and for them, like, you got to shake that off. Don't don't even worry about that. you got to focus totally on Oregon, which has turned into a winnable game. You've been playing fantastic the last – you've been playing great the whole season. It's not even the last few games. You've been playing pretty solid all year turn the program around and now you need to cap it off with a upset over Oregon and you can do it I personally don't think they're gonna win I think it's gonna be a very close game and Oregon probably pulls away with like eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter ends up being like a 10-point game or something like that but it'll be close for three and a half quarters and yeah I mean really tough tough break for them but um both of those programs, Wazoo and Oregon State. There's a lot to look forward to in this next week. Rivalry games where you got to have, at least if you're Wazoo, a ton of confidence and belief that you're going to win that game. You're bowl eligible. So now it's just about finishing the year right. And if you don't win that game, you're probably looking at the Las Vegas Bowl um, or the Foster Farms Bowl. I guess depending on how things shake out. And if you're from Pullman, uh, you're hoping for the Vegas Bowl, right? You don't want to go to San Francisco in the winter, do you? But um, Vegas in December sounds much better. And for Oregon State, just get it done on Saturday. I mean, Oregon's down. They are absolutely crushed. Their spirit is broken. They're not going to really... I'm not going to say they're not going to care about this game, but... The meaning of it is significantly lowered now that they're not able to make the playoffs. So you're catching them at basically the best possible time that you could. You're playing great. They're playing not great. So get it done. So another um, surprising result in the Pac-12 this week was... um, Colorado uh, beating UW. And so this is a huge win for the Buffs program. Um, I actually think it may be one of their most impressive wins of the year. Um, I mean, they were three and six just a couple weeks ago with just a season that looked like it was headed down the dumps, the seller of the Pac-12, that sort of things. And uh, all of a sudden they pulled off a win against Stanford to get to four and six. They followed it up with now a victory against UW to get to five and six. And the Buffs all of a sudden have an outside shot to beat a bull game. I mean, they have to knock down Utah, which is a huge task. But anything is possible in a rivalry game. And so I mentioned this in an earlier segment, but it is so easy when you're a player or just anyone involved in the system to do the little things right when you're winning or believe in the coach's system, buy in, that sort of thing. When you're winning, it's easy. You know, everything's smooth. Everything's groovy, baby. But when you lose and you're falling down to three and six under a first-year head coach, it's easy to not believe him. It's easy to not buy in. And um, 
clearly these kids have bought in. Do you want me to say bought in again? Because I will. And But seriously, I mean, they could have folded, and all of a sudden, they have an outside shot to make a bowl game, and the Buffs have really done some great things um, the last couple of weeks here. And so, just truly impressive. Good, Great job by Mel Tucker. Um, great defensive effort the last two weeks against Stanford and UW. And um, in this game uh, alone, uh, they kind of controlled uh, – well, when I say this game alone, in this game versus Washington this past week, they um, kind of controlled the tempo of the game, held a steady lead throughout, and were able to close out in the end. If it lo- if you look at UW, um, if you look at UW stats, they really didn't get anything on the ground. Uh, the combination of Salved Ahmed, uh, Salvan Ahmed, and um, Richard Newton really did absolutely nothing on the ground. They finished with like a combined sixty yards and a very low average per carry. Um, Jacob Eason was held in check by the Colorado defense, and uh, this is kind of what you expect out of a Mel Cutcher, uh, Mel Cutcher, <laughs> a Mel uh, Tucker coach team. Um, he has the pedigree of being the defense, uh, past defensive coordinator at Ohio State under Jim Trestle, won a national championship. Those are the Maurice Clet, the Maurice Claret teams. You remember that? Um, Coach under Nick Saban, so he had the SEC defense, uh, defensive coordinator under Nick Saban, I believe. And so this is exactly what you expect, but to see it rolling in action with, uh, quite frankly, less talented players in what the Buffs have, um, yeah, they're doing a fantastic job. And on the other side of the coin, their offense uh, is finally starting to catch its rhythm a little bit. And UW's a great defense. Don't ever forget that. Just because they're 6-5, and five, that's a great defense coached by a defense, a great defensive mind in his own right, Jimmy Lake. So... For the Buffs, uh, Steven Montez had a true senior quarterback game uh, through one touchdown, like 200-plus yards, but no turnovers, so crucial, crucial. Uh, running back Alex Fontenot rushed for over 100 yards to add a little balance, did a great job. And the disgusting weapon that is LaVisca Schnault Jr. had another 100-yard uh, receiving game. I mean, he's one of the best receivers in the Pac-12, surefire NFL pick. Um, I'm not sure about first round, but he's a sure. He's going to be a very high round pick in the NFL draft. I mean, he's a stud. And so they really got it all going on offense. The defense is starting to kind of maybe take their head coach's identity. And the Buffs, if they beat Utah next week, can't believe I'm saying this, they could actually be in a bowl game. I mean, covering the Pac-12 this year has been absolutely insane. There's been no predictability. It's been so fun to watch, and I'm glad I'm not a gambling man because I would have lost some money on this money on this game. I would have lost some big money. And uh, so I've already said on the other side of the coin, how about we switch over to Seattle from Boulder? Seattle's got some problems. Or excuse me, not Seattle. Like we're talking about the Seahawks here. The Washington Huskies have some problems. They now... It's like, okay, they lost some games. They stumbled. It's it's expected. Um, lost a lot of defensive players. Jacob Eason hasn't lived quite up to his billing. Um, Chris Peterson's probably made a couple mistakes, the head coach. But, wow, this loss to Colorado was like, wow, this this program's taking a step back in quick. Like, very quick. I mean, UW is consistently competing for the conference title the past three seasons. Um, I believe winning two conference titles. Granted, they never won the big bowl game, but they were still a great team. And seriously, I think... A lot of people, um, obviously I'm from Seattle, so I think a lot of people around Seattle, and I want to tell you that I'm not a UW fan per se, I'll just leave it at that. I I don't like them or dislike them, I have nothing against them, but I kind of offer an outside perspective here. It seems like the last couple of years, um, people talk about the program, like, oh, they can't win the big game, oh, they, they like, Jake Browning's not good, uh, that, that type of stuff, and Jake Browning was the old Husky quarterback, and so... 
no, they just lost to teams like Penn State, like some of the best teams in the country. Those games are tough to win, and Chris Peterson's still fairly new in his contract. Um, but this year, I mean, there's no excuse to be six and five with that talent level. You can slice it any way you want. Like, yes, they lost defensive players. Yes, new quarterback. Yes, 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 yes. So many changes. Blah blah blah. No, you you need to be better than six and five. There, there's there's no excuse. I mean, you're so much more talented than Colorado, and something isn't clicking there. And you know, I I can try and beat around the bush. I is tingling out my tongue to say it, so I'm just gonna be real here. Again, I never want to hate on a kid, but they got to bench Jacob Eason. Someone hat in the program has to have the cojones to do this. And something my dad brought up, which I think is a very valuable point. He's a hometown boy. He's from Lake Stevens, which is about um, like, I don't, I don't know how far. It's like outside Seattle, like 45 minutes, but close enough to UW where this is the nearest major college. Um, and so there may be pressure from the higher ups of UW to play this kid. He was a five-star recruit. He, has, he can throw rockets. I mean, he has an NFL body and NFL um, athletic and physical traits. He played, he was recruited highly by SEC school, started as a freshman in the SEC. So how could he miss? Well, he's missing. He's missing a lot of throws. And I didn't even mean to like set that up, but to be darn serious, he's missing a lot of easy throws. He doesn't read the game. Like he throws screen passes like they're 100 mile per hour fastballs. He has no touch. He seems to be lacking these little inconsistencies. And it just seems like if you look at the outside perspective in his stats and the body and all that, so like, oh, Jacob Eason's good. He's going to be a good player in the NFL. This guy would not be a good quarterback on many teams right now. And again, I'm cheering for the kid. I've, I always want to see kids succeed. This must be a part of his spiritual evolution, like struggling right now. But he's, he's quite frankly not a good quarterback. And no one seems to like believe that or say that. And it just... It's, I don't know why, like, what is the fear? But he's not good. He's really not, guys. I don't want to say anything more because I don't want to bag on him too hard. But he's not a good quarterback. In fact, he's pretty darn awful. Yeah, I'm sorry. Jacob Easton isn't very good. Deal with this, Seattle fans. And hopefully you're starting to realize it. Why do I keep saying Seattle, man? I watched the Seahawks game. Maybe, maybe that's, like, what it is. But yeah, Washington fans. So, quick summary again. Colorado, what a way to rally behind head coach Mel Tucker, Steven quarterback, Steven Montez, LaVisca Schnault Jr., still the freakish wideout, and just what a great defensive performance. All around, Colorado stepped up this week, made things happen, won a huge game. They won back-to-back games and given themselves for bowl eligibility. I mean, who would have seen this coming? They they play the rival Utah next week, and hey, I've counted out the Buffs the last two weeks. I'm not going to bet against them again. Do I think it's probable? No. But could they beat Utah? Yes. And for you, Dub. You know what? All that other stuff I said, what I was really feeling is Jacob Eason is bad. I could I could summarize more. I don't think Jacob Eason is a good quarterback. And I think this team is at least let's see they're six and five right now. I believe they're nine and two if he's not their quarterback this year. You bring in some game manager, some guy who just makes all the little right reads, I think it's that simple. Jacob Eason isn't very good. Dane, maybe you'll be nicer to the kid. <laughs> yeah, I mean Look, the the expectations in Washington are really high, and so when you have a year like this, you got to find somebody to blame. The fans are going to point the finger at somebody, and so Jacob Eason is taking the heat, and whether that's justified or not, I don't know. Um, 
But if you look at what Jake Browning did and everything he accomplished, and he was like not at all really respected by the fans there. If you if you ask anybody in Seattle what's their opinion of Jake Browning, they're like, oh, he's a terrible quarterback. Like he's so awful. But yeah, he leads them to like a Rose Bowl and a college football playoff experience or <laughs> appearance experience, and um, and then you're gonna call that starting quarterback not good and that he's you know they had somebody else they could have done better I think it's it's I don't want to say it's foolish to say that but it's um it's a reflection of the expectations of the program and whether it's justified or not is mostly irrelevant um the facts are that they're six and five and I tend to not blame players but uh and more go on coaching staffs and philosophies game plans execution of the game plan part of that is recruiting and so you want to look at their recruiting classes their top 25 their top 20 top 15 recruiting classes they're always pulling in four stars you know some five stars at least some seems that way from the outside but um there's certainly a lot of four stars that commit there and so I mean, I don't, I don't think I would be super concerned about the direction of the program. I've said that, you know, repeatedly over this podcast, um, over the previous episodes, that sometimes you just have off years and you're in a rebuild. Um, though I did think that Eason would play far better and that he would live up to the expectations that he was being hyped up. And really, if you want to talk about Eason, then you have to discuss Peterson's decision um, to make him the starting quarterback, and you lost two high-level quarterbacks because of it, and look what it got you. So it's, uh, I guess it's not a good situation that's going on up there, but to blame one player, I don't, I don't think I would go that far. That's just, uh, I mean, but you got to, you gotta blame someone I guess right and I don't think there's an appetite for pointing the finger at the coaching staff though there might be if another year like this happens but I mean come on let's just uh (laughs) that's all I gotta say about that anyways yeah um god I can't even remember who do they play oh that's right Colorado yeah okay Colorado look on the upswing I mean I know that they had a bad uh, end of their season, middle part of their season, went on a long losing streak. But if you look at their recruit, uh, their recruiting class, it's pretty good. I mean, you're, I think you're in the top 50. You might even be approaching the top 30. You know, you're knocking on the door of a, of a, a top 25 class. And um, I'm hearing um, that they're probably the favorite for, I think it's Jason Harris. It's a four-star defensive end out of Phoenix. It's like six, eight or something. Uh, he's a good player. One of the top, 500 in the country and um at least here in tucson the uh heavy rumors are colorado is probably gonna land him um so that'll add another uh dimension to their recruiting class they also got a famous wide receiver son going there why can't i think of the name right now but basically what i'm trying to say is their recruiting class is going well and probably above expectations and it'll be on the coaching staff there to uh turn that into a successful second season and a lot of that um starts with who you're going to have at quarterback because uh Montez is going to be out of there he's a senior so um 
And yeah, for Colorado, you got next up uh, Utah, so I think that game's in Salt Lake City, but um, yeah, for them, it's really about recruiting and moving forward on that and making sure that everybody that you've got committed signs on the 15th for the early signing day um, because they have a lot of commitments and um, their class is good, but you got to translate that into them actually signing and then developing that talent. In a game I've dubbed the Battle of Los Angeles, if it's actually called that after like this, I'm I don't even know what I'm gonna do. I'm probably literally gonna do absolutely nothing and not care. But it is an expression I figure I'd use. But so in the Battle of Los Angeles, don't you love my randomness sometimes? I was I was just thinking about that. <laughs> I don't know where some of this comes from sometimes. Just <laughs> just be yourself, guys. Life advice from Nick again, part like 17, be yourself. But yeah, um, so the Battle of Los Angeles, um, for me, this was really um, an impressive performance by USC. I think that they could have folded this year. I've, I feel like I've said that about a couple teams, but so let's let's not go that route. I mean, they could have folded uh, with their second and third string quarterback situation and um, kind of their defense being battered, but this game goes comes down to one man, and that's true freshman quarterback uh, Keaton Slovis. As previously mentioned, there he is. He's was their second st- uh, second stringer at the beginning of the year, and when you really put into consideration what he did this year, he had phenomenal stats. I mean, but th- that that is expected out of the air raid system. But he just he's made some pretty big plays. I mean, and um, this was the game and the rivalry game where he really shined his his brightest, if you want to put it that way. Um, he threw for over 500 yards, I believe it was 515, setting a new USC um, all-time record for most passing yards in the game by a quarterback. I mean, that's done by a true freshman. Let's just, you feel me? Like, that they're going to have a decision next year whether they're going to start Keaton Slovis or um, JT Daniels when he's back and healthy, and that'll, that'll be one heck of a quarterback competition. It'll be a, fun to see what they do and how they decide, but... And back to the game at hand, uh, they jumped out to a big lead. Like I believe it was like thirty-five to thirteen or something along those lines. UCLA fought back, um, got within like fourteen or ten points. Not close enough where SC was ever threatened, but they did make a little bit of a rally. And um, USC was ultimately able to put it away with their offense. I mean, it's going to be hard to score fifty-two points, and that's what USC was able to do. UCLA wasn't able to match it, and so. I mean, oddly enough, USC actually still has a chance to win the South title. A lot crazier things have happened than one team being upset. I mean, a lot crazier things. So Colorado can beat Utah next week. Uh, USC is actually in the Pac-12 championship and, had, and would have a rematch against Oregon. And uh, it's USC. So if, if for some reason that happens, they have just as good a shot as beating Oregon as uh, Utah does. Uh, USC is the talent to compete with many teams, um, pretty much every team in the conference. I mean, the LA schools have great recruiting, especially USC with their historical significance. I mean, the Pete Carroll era, all the winning, oh, I, I guess OJ's a touchy subject, but, but I'm not talking about all that off the field stuff. I mean, just, he was a stud at SC, um, Reggie Bush. I mean, that's back to the Pete Carroll era, but just so many good players. And, uh, anyway, they always have the talent at SC to beat anyone. So they get in that Pac-12 championship game. 
they could do some pretty cool things and maybe even beat Oregon. But again, they'll need some outside help from Utah. And um, I don't generally like to chime in about coaching decisions because I don't know all the intangibles. So I don't know what's going on behind the scenes with the USC, you know, the higher up powers. But I would like to say that Clay Helton's done a great job this year coaching. Whether you like him or not, um, I don't really have an opinion on him. But he's done a great job this year. This team's now 8-4. and four. Uh, They were on their third-string quarterback. They beat Utah with their third-string quarterback. Utah's the number six team in the country. Like, actually think about that for a second. As a, take, your, take your opinions out of it about how you feel about the guy. This team beat the number six team in the conference with their third-string quarterback. You know? Like, they're doing something right. And... They're, again, eight wins. They had a very beat-up defense, give themselves a chance. So I'm not saying you keep Clay Helton. I'm not saying you fire Clay Helton. But I am saying he did a great job this year. And if you're unable to recognize that, I mean, I respect your viewpoint. But I truly believe he's he's killed it, man. He, he's got that program winning games, competing. And ultimately, at the beginning of the season, every team dreams of a national title first but you have to get the conference championship for uh, the conference championship before that and they've given themselves to the last week of the season the last game of the season and kept that a possibility even though SC has higher standards that's really you can all you can ask for as a fan is a chance and they've given themselves that chance so let's see how that unfolds uh, next week and for UCLA they're hot they've kind of come back to earth after their odd midseason just an odd season for UCLA I mean they lost to San Diego State at the beginning of the year they like <coughs> rallied back to win three or four, um, three or four conference games in a row, and give themselves a chance to win the South at a point here. Um, obviously, Utah derailed them, being like a hundred to zero, and now rival USC was able to take them down. But it looks like Chip Kelly does have this uh, f- not franchise, but this uh, program kind of rolling in the right direction here. Things are starting to pick up. The rushing attack has been really solid um, during the during that hot run, which is kind of the staple of a Chip Kelly offense, you know, fast-moving, move the ball. But they have been stymied the last two weeks. It's particularly, um, I mean, Utah stops everyone, but USC did a great job against uh, against, uh, Tro- against Trojan Bruin, Trojan Bruin, against uh, Bruins halfback Joshua Kelly this week. And I ultimately feel like that was probably the difference in the game, uh, especially if you're trying to, keep USC's offense off the field it would have been very helpful to get their uh, star halfback going in a Joshua Kelly for the Bruins but the bigger picture for UCLA is they have some things to look forward to obviously their season's done now they're not going to make a bowl game but um, I don't believe they have any games left on their schedule they may have some weird like non-conference team but either way they're not making a bowl game and so yeah I mean they did some they did some great things this year um, Dorian Thompson Robinson definitely looks like the quarterback of the future. This is a guy who I made fun of for like literally air fumbling twice at the beginning of the season, but he's actually turned into a pretty good player and to end the season against a rival in a big game, hostile environment and to throw the rock for 300 yards. Um, that, that says a lot about the kid. Um, and he, he's progressed a lot and it'll be fun to see how the Bruins respond next year. It'll be uh, chip Kelly's third year. So this is kind of the year where you're not, Year, year, year. Did you ever notice you say the same word a bunch of times? Uh, anyway, so like Chip Kelly, um, third third opportunity. Um, and like this is kind of the season where you need to figure out, I mean, you don't need to go 10-1 and one per se 
and win the conference, but you do need to be in that six and five, seven and four range, especially at, at a LA school. So there's going to be some higher standards next year, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can live up to that and get it done. Uh, obviously, the Trojans have the more football notoriety or the more well-known football team in the LA, but UCLA has had some good teams, and Chip Kelly has proven track record of success in the Pac-12. So this third year should be pretty interesting. So to sum up, summarize this business, uh, USC, great win. I think that Clay Helton's a good job, uh, did a good job this year, and I think that all they can do now is wait and see what happens with Utah and Colorado. They still have an outside shot to win the Pac-12 South. Not probable, but possible. And that, again, again, all you can ask for is a chance. That re- that really is all you can ask for. And for uh, UCLA, it's uh, it's been just a odd year just odd odd season <laughs> like and uh just some terrible losses some very awesome win um some terrible losses some awesome wins and just about everything in between and now they're heading into the off season um obvious some obvious things to work on but the third year is really going to be the deciding factor in how this uh kind of Bruins uh football program is going to Okay, clearly the second one's going too long cuz I can't finish it out. Um it, the third year is going to decide like how how what direction the Bruins are headed? And if they start losing again next year and finish around the same like four and seven, f- five and seven, four and eight mark, then it you have to make some decisions about Chip Kelly and the direction the program wants to take. If you can bounce back and have a seven and six, um, eight and four, eight and five type of season, then things are starting to roll for the Bruins. So we'll have to find out what happens to them next year. Yeah, so UCLA's recruiting class has gotten um, better since the middle of the season when they started to go on that win streak. They've got um, at least one, I want to say more than one, four-star commit. I believe it's on the offensive side of the ball. I think it might be a wide receiver. Um, But, yeah, their recruiting is moving in the right direction. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's never good to lose to your rival, especially when your defense gives up all those yards and things like that. But that's a greater reflection on USC's air raid. And like I said previously, USC is becoming the wazoo of the South when it comes to their offensive system. And so if you want to get into the discussion about Clay Helton, if he's the right guy, um, the offensive system is certainly better than what he had. Um, and Keaton Slovis runs it pretty well. And I mean, he's a true freshman that's just learning it, so... There's positives on that aspect of it, Um, but overall, it's a really good result for the Trojans. Um, Eight-win season, better than what I was expecting. I wrote a small piece about them at the beginning of the the year in the offseason. I thought they were going to get seven wins, and they got eight, so exceeded my expectations, Um, which is really surprising to say, considering... All the drama that seems to be around them about their head coach and it's just uh their expectations are so high at USC that even an eight win season is considered like not good, which is um a reflection on, you know, what the fans expect there in LA and the history of that program and everything they've accomplished, all the great players that have come through there. Um but yeah, for, for USC, you really need to get your recruiting class together. And as I said, I think in the intro, um, the AD, the new AD needs to make a statement either in support 
Clay Helton or terminating him and moving on because the recruiting class has been severely hampered because of it. And if you're going to stick with them, you need to make that decision now. You need to get it out there in the public so that those recruits um, are not going to commit to, you know, SEC top-level schools or, you know, Oregon, whoever USC is in recruiting battles with. Um, so that needs to get done. And for UCLA, I mean, DTR is going to be a junior next year. And so... You're halfway through the DTR era, and you're yet to have a winning season. Um, second year of Chip Kelly, where things probably didn't go the way you were expecting them. Um, you got Cal coming up here, um, so you can get to five wins. I, I predicted them, UCLA, to get to five wins uh, when I wrote about them in the off season. So... We'll see how that goes. Um, Cal's coming off that good victory. so. Um, but yeah, I mean, what are you really fighting for? If you, you can't make a bowl anymore. and So do they care about this game coming up? And that's uh, going to be interesting to see. But um, yeah, it's never good when you lose to your rival. And it's really not good when you give up 52 points and with literally no defense. I was watching this game. Um they were just scoring back and forth, both the teams were, which made it a great game to watch if you're an objective, you know, if you don't care about who wins and you're just there for the entertainment. It was a fantastic game to watch. I mean, I had a great time you know, watching it. Day game with the great, you know, color contrasts, Battle for L.A. Always a good game and both storied programs that are, you know, draw a lot of eyes. I think it was on, what was it, ABC or around the nation, so... I'm sure a lot of people watched that, and a lot of people enjoyed what they saw. I mean, it's a good game, but that doesn't mean anything if you're UCLA. Um, so it's it's tough for them, and yeah, I don't know if I'd go as far as saying that Chip Kelly is not the right person, but um, he needs to recruit better uh, and continue to improve on that aspect, and then it will translate onto the field. And for USC, yeah, I'm just hoping that um, they get their coaching situation figured out here. You know, I mean, it's got to be done it's kind of like before the bowl games are announced, right? Like before December 5th or 6th when the championship game is. Um, and they need to get that done and get it out of the way and get it in the open for recruiting purposes. And so the last game this week, or not the last game, it's actually one of the earliest games played on Saturday, but the last game I'm going to be discussing this week and Dane over here is going to be Stanford versus Cal. And uh, this was a pretty boring but exciting game, if that makes any sense. There wasn't like the most action throughout the first four quarters, but then the final two drives turned into an extremely exciting game. So just uh, one of those kind of... I, I, there's not many games I've seen like this. I guess you just play it till the end is the best way to phrase it. So quick summary, back um, pretty low scoring throughout, tight. Um, neither team could pull out like a lead, uh, Stanford Cal, very tight. And so in the fourth quarter, it came down to the final two drives. And uh, <coughs> Cal, um, so on like a third and one, I believe it was, Stanford got stopped with about, Two or three minutes left. Stanford tried to run the ball, 
and Cal's defense held them in check behind star linebacker Evan Weaver. I don't even know if he made a play on that or a tackle on that particular play. I just wanted to throw his name out there. The Golden Bears probably aren't the most watched team in the Pac-12, but Evan Weaver is a surefire stud. And I can't speak about his NFL future, but he's been an amazing linebacker at Cal. So anyway, back to the game. Stanford could not run the ball on third and one, and uh, they had to give the ball back to Cal. Uh, Chase Garbers, Cal's original starting quarterback, was back and healthy. Um, he suffered an injury earlier this year, and he also he came back last week and got injured again, but he was back and out there. And uh, he came in and he led them down the field and uh, led down for uh, the leading touchdown and uh, put Cal up by a couple points with um, – honestly, I don't remember how much he put Cal up by, but he gave Cal the lead with under two minutes left. And it was a beautiful drive, especially for a guy who's been injured all year to come in and show that composure. Um, one thing's for sure, this Golden Bears team is a lot different when he's out there. The backup quarterback, Devin Modster, and I forget the third stringer's name, uh, Devon Modster, excuse me. They, um, they've really, they've struggled when they've come in. They haven't proven capable of handling the offense. But with Chase Garbers out there, Cal appears, appears to be the real deal. <clears throat> and I believe he's still a young, um, I believe he's like a sophomore, so he should be back. Don't quote me on the year, but I'm 90% sure he's not a senior. So he'll be back, and they should be good. So anyway, um, Stanford now uh, trailing. They needed some points to on the final drive to either win or um, to win or what am I trying to say? Or last team. We're getting towards the end of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm keeping my focus for you guys. Honestly, I'm keeping it for myself. I'm not going to lie to y'all. I'm keeping it for myself. Just do the best I can do, but y'all can benefit. So anyway, Stanford had a chance to either tie or win the game on the final drive. Um, Pretty quickly, the drive got stuffed. They found themselves in a fourth and one, fourth and two situation, and again, could not find success on the ground. And um, yeah, Cal stopped them, and that was that. Cal was able to break a nine-game winning streak in the big game, and uh grab the axe I guess I guess that's their celebration not sure where that comes from or the trophy it's like the axe or something so Cal Cal wins the game beats their rival breaks the long win streak and on top of that gains bowl eligibility and Cal is another one of those teams where just the Pac-12 has been so weird this year so like when you're recapping teams it feels like it's all over the place but no this is all the same season if you remember Cal was actually like the 15th team in the country at one point in the season. I believe they're off to a 5-0 start and 15th in the country after they beat UW in that uh, late night game. Uh, they really got things rolling early on. Uh, once Chase Garbers got hurt, they completely fell apart, as mentioned, under the second and third, uh, the second and third string quarterbacks. But they kept on fighting, and uh, for a young uh, upstart program under head coach Justin Wilcox, uh, the Golden Bears now gain themselves bull eligibility. And that's all you can really ask for um, in a young team, especially with the injured quarterback situation. They have bull eligibility. They um, beat their rival. And yeah, that that's a very solid campaign, very solid year. Whatever way you want to slice it, they did a good job. And it'll be fun to see if they can win a bowl and represent the conference well. I believe with Chase Garber's back and healthy and um, the Cal defense being as tough as they are, Nobody outside the conference wants to face the team. Probably not many teams inside the conference with Garber's back. But whoever gets Bow, um, Bow, whoever gets Cal in a bowl game is in for a tough time. And they, they I would assume that they're actually going to handle their business pretty easily. Um, I think they're going to prove a point in the bowl game and send themselves into the offseason the right way. So great win for Cal. Always nice to beat a rival. And you get bowl eligibility in the process. Good work, Wilcox and the boys. And for Stanford, as mentioned, 
They couldn't run the ball in two key moments. And uh, it would be easy to beat up on them. Like, oh, Stanford, have they gone away from their identity? Which they have struggled to find their identity this year. Um, just, But that's, anyway, um, that has to do with the fact that they have lost eight offense linemen this year. I mean, I can keep reiterating that point. With eight offensive linemen, you got to respect that they're even still trying to run the ball. They lost to All-American and Walker Little at the beginning of the season. And it, sh- it showed up in big moments and uh, no bigger than losing to your rival. And I mean, a nine-game win streak, that's not going to be easy for those kids to give up. But uh, it, <coughs> it happened, and they're going to have to move forward. Uh, moving into next year, Stanford, for me, they need to find that hard-nosed defense. They need to get back to that Utah style. We may not have the most talented players. We're going to do every little thing right. We're going to switch up defenses. We're going to press the line. We're going to play zone defenses. We're going to do so many different things perfectly that's going to cause havoc, and eventually you're going to make a mistake. And that's what Stanford needs to get back to, that hard-nosed, run-stuffing. You might beat us over the top once in a while, but it's going to hurt. We're going to play physical football. And that's what Stanford's lost more than anything this year. With all the injuries on offense, um, to the offense line, with their injury, their, um, I guess he's not their quarterback anymore, but uh, K.J. Costello's career is now over. Um, he, uh, it, They just need to get back to that hard-nosed defense, and that is what I believe their focus should be in the offseason. They're not going to make a bowl. That's just um, their season's over. <laughs> it's like, duh. And so... Yeah, get back to that hard-nosed defense. And on offense, Davis Mills may be the quarterback of the future. There's been flashes of brilliance, um, but there's also been some pretty tough moments, um, as to be expected, from a backup quarterback. So it'll be exciting to see uh, what Davis Mills can do next year. Can he kind of turn the page for the Cardinal? And, yeah, just they're not going to make a bowl this year, but David Shaw and the boys, everyone on that team, should get a lot of credit for hanging in there. They they seriously, with all those injuries, could have easily ended up like, with two or three wins. I mean, they really were that beat up. But they fought. Um, they, pl- they played solid this year. They beat Washington. They beat uh, Northwestern. So they did win some big games. But ultimately, they're not going to make a bowl game. They're going to... They lost their rival, Cal. And they're going to need to regroup heading in the offseason. Hopefully, they can stay healthy next year. David Shaw's been a consistent winner. He seems like a good guy. So something tells me that he'll get the program back on the right foot. Yeah, I've said in previous episodes, I'm not totally convinced that Shaw is going to be able to get it done there, and um seems crazy to say that, but, I mean, it is what it is, and we'll see. I know their injuries were significant this year, so, um, but if the same result happens next year, do people say the same thing about him? And so, it'll be interesting to see. Um, but yeah, for Cal... Um, Certainly, you can describe them as uh, on the upswing, continuing from last year, and um, really, really continuing since the Jared Goff era. Um, Cal used to be like the ultimate doormat, and then they like, you know, switched into like, okay, they might win a handful of couple games, like they might win one or two, three or four, you know, and it's steadily built up. And now they have Chase Garbers, who went healthy is able to lead that program, you know, well, and then they have a good defense. I think Evan Weaver is either a senior or he's going to the NFL. Um, He's going to the NFL if he's eligible anyways, so he's going to be gone. And then I guess you got to reload. I'm not really sure about the age and um, 
class, like if they're sophomores or juniors or it's a senior-laden um, defense, but they're going to need to rebuild because that's the strength of the program uh, is the quality defense and really good win for them to get, you know, finally the first victory over your arrival in 10 years since 2009. So that is very big, and I think the tides have turned. You know, the momentum has shifted. The winds have changed. It's no longer Stanford that is the Bay Area's best program. Is that legitimate to say? Like, is that going to – is that like – I mean, (laughs) think about it, though. Stanford is on the down, and Cal is on the up. I don't think that's debatable. Um, Certainly Stanford was at great heights a few years ago, but they're not now. And Cal has congruently been rising to the top of, not of the conference mostly, but, you know, they've been rising. And so it's a legitimate discussion to have whether or not Cal at this point is a better situated program than Stanford. I mean, going into next year, I don't haven't looked at either of their recruiting classes recently. Um, Stanford's is always pretty good, so uh, it'll be interesting to see where Cal is at. But I think that's going to be the key is recruiting um, from here on out. Uh, and for Stanford, you got to look at what you're doing with your strength program. Or, and the way you practice, the way you train in the off season, all that needs to be analyzed and you need to make changes. This is not should be this should not be happening. Um, bad luck is one thing, but poor preparation and poor strength and conditioning is a completely different thing. And so they need to figure that out because um, really the conference is looked at Stanford as, you know, almost like a flagship. I mean, I feel like in the Pete Carroll era, it was USC, and then Chip Kelly made it into Oregon uh, while USC went down, and then Oregon kind of went down, and Stanford popped up along with uh, Washington at the same time, pretty much. And so, and now both of those teams have kind of fallen, and we're left with Utah on the rise. Um it's interesting um, how the dynamics change over the years, but some things just aren't sustainable. You know, David Shaw had a lot of success, but not this year. So, but we'll see how he he turns it around. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they got back to a bowl game next year. Uh, so take all this with a grain of salt, but I think it's a legitimate. Um, point to make so you've made it to the end I'm here you're all here Dane's still in the building we gonna finish with a bang or a chillness or something in between I don't know but I will say when you like think about how long you've been talking during a podcast it's interesting I, I don't know if people just like love hearing themselves talk if you just talk for this long and rambled like this in the real world i don't know if you'd ever listen or hear anything from anybody else how would you learn like seriously how would you learn if you're just always talking all right that's come on i had to slip in one random tidbit rant you knew what i was gonna do at the end come on now you've been listening for long enough you know what to expect or maybe you don't maybe that's why you listen i'm not you you tell me but again close out the week 
I think we've gone into a lot of depth this week. I uh, spent a lot of time talking about all the games. What a fun week of football in the Pac-12. Obviously, we, even though there's so many exciting games, we know that most people are probably going to be focused on the top. And so that Oregon loss, well, it does hurt the conference. There's no way to put it. Um, there really is no way to put it. Just they didn't come prepared down in Tempe. They they made a ferocious rally late. I said ferocious really weird there. They made a ferocious rally late. I really say ferocious weird. I don't know. I don't know how you're supposed to make that sound cool. Um, but yeah, like Oregon uh, did their best to come back and ultimately ended up falling short. And Oregon was able to, or um, Arizona State was able to grasp the opportunity, grasp the moment, and knock Oregon out of the college football playoff. Does it hurt the conference's credibility? It sure does. There's no way to bluff that. But we still have an outside shot with Utah. So great win for Arizona State. As for Utah, uh, the hand and uh, for Oregon, adios. You've gone fishing. Still that one from TNT. Sorry, Ernie. Sorry. Chuck, sorry, Shaq. I'm not not trying to steal your bit there. I'm using it in my own words. No copyright infringement. Just like Google, y'all are great people. I ain't, I ain't about that. Sorry. I just think it's a cool segment y'all do. So anyway, Oregon season, what they're looking for, national title hopes are gone. It's in the water. And they still have some things to play for in the Pac-12 championship, but this hurts the conference. So for Utah, their last remaining hope, they've looked absolutely phenomenal. Um, the whole pretty much this whole year after the USC loss, continue to take care of business. They finish up against Colorado next week, and they still don't have a guarantee in the South, even though they're sixth in the country. They lose, USC takes the South title with the tiebreaker, and, um, well, USC takes the tiebreaker. So Utah has got to take care of business against rival Colorado, no slip-up. And even though it is made from the outside. I wanted to save this point till the end. No, I didn't. Like, I really didn't. I'm trying to sound cool. I, I just, it just popped in my head. Um, but you, Utah did have trouble against USC's receivers, and Colorado's some great receivers. The only other receiver who's on Michael Pittman Jr.'s level, the SC receiver, is LaVisca Chenault Jr., who plays for Colorado. And LaVisca Chenault Jr. can, there's a lot of juniors here. He, anyway, LaVisca Chanel can, uh, Jr. can cause some havoc against Utah's defense. So Utah better not get too comfortable. Don't just write that off as a surefire win because that's not the case. I'm like holding up like my finger with like emphasis right now by myself. Look like I'm conducting an orchestra. So yeah, just be aware that this is not going to be some gimme. It would be a fun game to tune into. Colorado's playing some good football. They're also, have no, they literally have nothing to lose in terms of bowl eligibility. And, uh, so if they win, they're in. And they have, that's a dangerous team. They have the weapons, the right type of team to beat Utah. They have a receiver who can take the top off. And, yeah, Utah's got to take care of business. There's still one more. Never overlook an opponent. They're not in the Pac-12 South. Uh, they're, they're not the Pac-12 South champions yet. They're not in the Pac-12 title yet. But for this week, they did do a great job. And they set themselves up one final game against a rival. But do not overlook Colorado. Speaking of Colorado, great win against UW this week. Um, yeah, just, I'm again, I'm not going to dive too far. We're going to give our shouts to the winners like we always do. So, but uh, we're not going to dive. We're not going to hold you up for too long. Y'all got lives, man. So, again, Oregon done. Utah, one more game. Still got some cool things out of them if they take care of business. Colorado, huge program win. Um, huge win against UW. They've now beaten Stanford and UW the past two weeks. 
which gives them an outside shot to get bowl eligibility. They're currently staying at five and six, and if they can derail Utah's season in the Pac-12 hopes of the college football playoff, well, good for them, not good for the rest of the conference. So let's see what happens next week, Colorado. WCU versus Oregon, one of the football games of the year, to be quite frank. Uh, still don't know the final score, either 53-54, 55-54. WCU won the last play of a game, and uh, great work for them. Just huge win to gain bowl eligibility, and they face their rival in the Apple Cup next week in the University of Washington. So WSU maintains their streak of bowl eligibility. And who else do we got? Who else are the winners of the week? USC um, took care of rival UCLA. Um, I believe that Clay Helton is uh, did a great job this year. Um, Keaton Slovis uh, broke the USC passing record for yards in the game, and most importantly for USC. Uh, as weird as it sounds, they still have an outside shot to win the South. That would be with one more, or with a, with the Colorado upsetting Utah. So USC still has outside shots to win the South, get themselves to Pasadena in the Rose Bowl. But again, they need some huge help from Colorado. But good win for Utah to, or for um, USC to wind out their year. Who we got left here? I've covered. I'm pretty think, pretty sure every team here. Oh no 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 no! The big game. The big game. Uh, the big game, big win for Cal. Uh, Cal did their thing, buying quarterback Chase Garbers being back. They gained bowl eligibility. Again, they rose to 15th in the co- 15th in the country at one point this year, fell back to pretty bottom of the Pac-12, basically. And, yeah, they now beat their rival. They're going to bowl game. And it looks like they got things heading into the bowl game and into and, uh, for next season. So huge win for Cal. All right, we got Cal covered. We got USC covered. We got UW covered. No, they lost. Forget about them. We got Cal covered. All right, I'm not going to go through the whole list. I think that's all the games. There may be someone I'm forgetting. I've been talking for too darn long. So, you know, whatever I forget, sometimes I get a little off track here. And it's beautiful, isn't it? And that's why we got Dane who's coming through with the facts. So, anything I forgot, he's going to get it as always. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for hearing me talk. Man, you know what? I appreciate it. It's better than talking to myself. So love all you viewers. For real. Just thanks for the support. We appreciate y'all. We out here, baby. Doing our thing. Wu-Tang. Wu-Tang. I don't, I don't know. Now I'm just saying things. Wu-Tang Clan is pretty cool, but I really don't know any of their music. So that's just the front. Anyway, one more final rant from Nick. Dane, take us out, buddy. All right. Yeah. Uh, another good episode uh, for me. Pac-12 hopes of the playoff were severely dampened and so the mood of the whole conference outlook is completely soured though um utah can still make it just got significantly more difficult and you are way more reliant on things happening in other conferences but um in the end i guess you gotta hope oregon wins the civil war obviously utah can't lose against colorado and then you will want Utah to win by, I've been saying, 17 or more against Oregon. And if they do that, um, I think they're in. And that's pretty much regardless of what happens in the other conferences. I think the quality of Utah's defense is really important to the college football playoff committee because they have a, let's be real, a significant SEC bias. And what do you think of when you think of the SEC? You think of strong defenses. And offenses that, you know, get the job done based on a 17-10 to 10 game. You know, that's historically what the SEC is. It's very strong defense. 
and your run-of-the-mill standard offenses that don't score a ton of points. So that's basically what Utah has, although I think the offense um, can put up points. Um, so yeah, if you are uh, expecting a playoff appearance, it's still possible, though this week really hurt it. And for other teams like Cal and Wazoo, you are bowl eligible, which is fantastic. It's really going to be a fun um, bowl uh, experience for those fans, but also as objective uh, Pac-12 fan watching the bowl games. I'm really excited to see who gets into the Holiday Bowl and the Alamo Bowl. Those are always my favorite ones. Uh, and then uh, we'll see who gets to the Rose Bowl. And um, even games like the Las Vegas Bowl are a lot of fun, Foster Farms Bowl. Uh, so we'll see how all that shakes out. I'm really excited for all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Colorado also had a nice win. Um, USC had a fantastic one. And um, yeah, we're at basically at the end of the year, which is kind of, uh, it flew by. But uh, I bet that depends on um, how your team did. So <laughs> you probably think the year has been the longest ever or it flew by, depending on your team's performance. So We'll see how it all shakes out. And for this week, um, Cal versus UCLA is going to be a good one. And, um, of course, the Civil War and the Apple Cup are the big ones. Oh, and then, yeah, Arizona and Arizona State and the Territorial Cup. We'll see how all that goes down. But um, for me, I think the Apple Cup is probably going to be the most interesting to watch just because the dynamic of those two teams where they're at right now, followed um, by Oregon and the Civil War. So, uh, but yeah, thanks for listening again and, um, see you guys next week when we get to, uh, basically recap the season essentially and, um, uh, talk about the Pac-12 championship game, which is, uh, about two weeks away. And so happy Thanksgiving to everybody, uh, drive safe out there wherever you're going or flying and, uh, we'll see you in a week.